Welcome to the sermon podcast for Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Central South Carolina. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from the Word of God, and we pray that God will both bless you and speak to you as you listen and apply His Word to your life. There's a weight that must be lifted. There's a trophy to be won. Open, if you would, your Bible again to Mark 13. Mark chapter 13, as we continue our journey through the book of Mark, as we introduced last week in the first few verses, that the, the book of chapter 13 is prophecy, and it's talking about end times events, or the signs of the end time events, then also gives some end times events. And again, as we said last week, we're really talking about the end of the end, and the beginning of the very end is one way of saying that. And so we're going to read again in Mark chapter 13. I'm praying that you will learn something new. Maybe God will give you something new, maybe something surprising, maybe some clarification help you see a little better through what we're going to share this morning. Uh, sometimes God gives you something that you weren't expecting and just completely surprises you. That happened to me this week, not so much with my reading of the Word of God, I didn't necessarily say something that surprised me, but I found my glasses, and that surprised me. I, uh, I can see better now, but uh, I had bought glasses back a year, more than a year ago, back a year and a half ago, I guess, and uh, sometime over the course of winter, around the time that we went to New York, I misplaced my glasses and could not find them. In fact, I thought I had somehow left them in New York City, and uh, so I thought they were just gone. Well, it got cold this week, and I got out my winter coat, and as I was putting on my winter coat, I something is in the pocket, and I reached inside that inside pocket, and lo and behold, there are my glasses that I've been missing since the last time I wore my winter coat, I suppose. But uh, God gave me something new and exciting, and I'm praying that God gives you something new and exciting this morning to help you see just a little better. Let's look again in chapter 13. I'm going to back up to verse 5 and then continue to read down to end of verse 13. So follow along with me. And Jesus answering them. Again, they asked him back in verse uh, 4, tell us what these things, when these things shall be. What shall be the signs when all things shall be fulfilled? Talking, and they were talking specifically about the temple and one stone not being upon another in the temple and how amazed they were. And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled. For such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. For a nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in divers places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. That's where I get my title from this morning. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. 
And when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts today, that you would give us something fresh, something new. Remind us of your faithfulness, but remind us of what you'd have us to be reminded of today. Father, we're here to worship you. God, we're here to glorify your name. We're here for what you have for us. We come empty. We come needy. We come broken, we come discouraged, we come hurting. Father, we may come prideful, but Father, take away our pride. Father, give us more of yourself. Make us more like you. Prepare us for moving day. In Jesus' name, amen. This does fall under that original title, Getting Ready for Moving Day. But as we move through the chapter, I want you to see, and I, and I, I want to prepare Perhaps by the time we get through this chapter, I'm going to put on paper a timeline, if you will, so that you can kind of look at it and see. Now, when I say that, understand not all preachers, not all Bible scholars, not all Bible experts view these events the same way. There are some, even among good, godly men, knowledgeable men, there is some difference of opinion. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of preachers don't spend a lot of time on end times things because you begin to speculate and you begin to preach your opinion or what you think. And in the pulpit, I try not to do that. I want to preach what God's word says. And when I tell you my opinion, I'll say, this is my opinion. But I try not to do a whole lot of that because you're not here to hear from me. You're here to hear from God. So let me give you three major viewpoints that scholars have to begin with of what chapter 13 is all about. Now there's no doubt that it's the beginning of sorrows. There's no doubt that it's talking about things leading up to the end because that's what he says. But what exactly is he talking about? What exactly is chapter 13 about? There are some scholars that believe, some good, godly, biblical men and women that believe that the events of chapter 13 largely have already taken place, especially verses 1 through 23, which we're not getting all the way to that place, but have already taken place, and they were talking about the destruction of the temple uh, in Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Now, when Jesus is talking about this, when Jesus is saying these things, it wasn't A.D. 70 yet. Uh, it's around A.D. 30 when these things are being said. So it's 40 years. He's telling what will happen. But as we look back, we're saying, okay, was he talking about things that now have already taken place? Or is he talking about things that are yet to come for us? That's the question. And there's some that think, well, these things are specifically talking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in A.D. 70 when Rome or, uh, destroyed, they thought there was an uprising, a rebellion, and so they destroyed the temple during that time. That's what it's talking about. Uh, the, the, the 
then when you get down here, it talks about the abomination of desolation. They think that's talking about when the Romans marched through and destroyed the temple, Gentile or non-Jewish feet walked through the place of the Jews where Gentiles were not allowed to go, and so that would have been an abomination. And so therefore, that's what this is talking about, is it's already passed up to this point. All the uh, persecution, taking again, where we read about taking heed to yourselves, and the people taking you to the synagogues, and you being beaten, and uh, that, that brother rising up against brother and against parents, that's already taken place. There's some that view it that way, and therefore the scattering of the Jews is what's talking about. We didn't read this part, but after verse 14, it says, When you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understandeth, and let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. And they're saying, so that took place in A.D. 70. When Jerusalem, the temple was destroyed, and Rome kind of wiped out Jerusalem, the Jews then scattered. And the reason it says pray later in the chapter, it says pray that it doesn't happen in winter, is because the floodplains, or the, the river plains, would have been flooded, and therefore it would have been more difficult to escape the persecution that was coming. We're made traveling more treacherous. That's one viewpoint. There's another viewpoint that says, well, uh, the events of chapter 13 is really dealing with the seven-year tribulation. And that verses 5 through, 20, uh, through, through 14 or through 13 is the first three and a half years of the tribulation. And then the second three and a half years, or what's known as great tribulation, begins with the abomination of the desolation in the temple, and that is when the, the, the peace treaty will be broken during the tribulation. There will be a seven-year peace treaty. Israel will be surrounded by its enemies. Israel will be in great despair. God will do a miracle, and he will deliver Israel from its enemies. There will be a person that rises on the scene, and they seem to have all the answers, and that person will be the Antichrist. He will broker a peace treaty with Israel, and then there will be seven years of there, a seven-year peace treaty. In the middle of that three and a half years, he will go in and he will desecrate the temple, uh, and then therefore the Jews will revolt, and then it will be all war against Israel. And that's what we're seeing here in the tribulation in the last three and a half years, when it says scatter or or or, or flee to the mountains. It's talking about the tribulation time. So there's some that think that. And then there's others, a third viewpoint, which I believe is correct. That's my opinion, all right? believe is correct, where the events of chapter 13 are both past and yet future. In other words, some things have already taken place, but some things have yet to take place, or perhaps in some ways are already starting to take place, but we're not yet in the tribulation period. It's the beginning of sorrows. It's the things that Jesus says has to take place before we get to the very end. These things have to take place. And so therefore, when we see, uh, when we see this, the beginning of sorrows begins with Jerusalem and the temple being destroyed, one stone not upon another. That's back in the first four verses, really verse uh, one and two. He talks about that. And then it comes down and we see things begin to change Wars, rumors of wars, uh, 
uh, earthquakes in strange or diverse places. We see that taking place in verse uh, 5 and 6 and 7 and also with those coming and saying that I am Christ or I'm coming in the name of Christ. We see that taking place. And therefore, I think we're starting to see those things and have seen those things now. Now, the beginning of sorrows began with the destruction of the temple. That has already taken place. That took place in A.D. 70. But Jesus says, talking about the abomination of desolation, as was spoken of by Daniel, that takes us back to Daniel chapter 11. And in Daniel chapter 11, he is talking about something that would take place, future, but he's not talking about here in chapter 13, completely or ultimately, because we know historically in B.C. 167, Antiochus Epiphanes, he went in and he went into the temple and he conquered Jerusalem. He was the Roman, em the Roman uh, emperor and he conquers Jerusalem and he sets up himself is really God being the emperor, but then he ends up sacrificing a pig on the altar, which was the abomination of a desolation that Daniel was talking about, the first part. Because what you need to understand is Daniel's prophecy and Jesus' prophecy is comes to fruition more than one time. Daniel's prophecy about the abomination of desolation, that happened with Antiochus Epiphanes. It also happened in A.D. 70 when, uh, when they, or the Rome rather destroys the temple again in A.D. 70. And the boots of the Romans going through the temple would have been an abomination, being Gentile feet touching the ground of holy ground. That would have been an abomination. But also, when the Antichrist comes to the, rises to the surface, he will set up a peace treaty, but then he will then, in the middle of that peace treaty, go in at the three and a half year mark and say, hey, you're, you want to worship the, the Messiah? You want to worship the God, the one and true living God? I am he, and he's going to set himself up as God, and that again will begin the downward spiral of the last three and a half years of tribulation. So the, the beginning of sorrows began with, the, the beginning of the end times began with really the destruction of Jerusalem and will continue all the way until Christ comes back. And we see that, this is why we know it can't all have taken place because we see that over in verse 23 and 24, or 24 and 25 and 26 because it says in 24, but in those days after that tribulation, now that's after what? was after the tribulation of the desolation, of the abomination of desolation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. That has not happened yet. So it can't all have taken place. The temple was destroyed. One stone was not upon another. That took place. People have been persecuted. The Jews have been scattered. Uh, brother was betraying brother. That has taken place and will take place again. But understand that it is a process, not a what happened here, that's it. It happened here, it's happened here, it's going to happen again, and it's taking place even now, but we're not yet in the tribulation. We're not in that seven years. It was historical, 
But it will happen again. Before Jerusalem is destroyed, there were wars and rumors of wars. And now there are wars and rumors of wars. Jerusalem was conquered, destroyed. The Israelites were, dis were, were dispersed or scattered across the four corners of the, the world. And then again, we see over in, later in the chapter, which we didn't read all this, that Jesus is going to gather, verse 27, his angels shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the uttermost part of the earth and the uttermost part of heaven. And so there, that's yet to come. So understand that there are different viewpoints, but we need to understand this. No matter what viewpoint you take. Now again, I think the third one I gave you is the correct one. But no matter what viewpoint we take, there's some things that you need to see. And there's some things that Jesus would say, don't do these things. So I want to give you three things not to do. Don't, number one, don't be unaware. Don't be unaware. Don't be unaware. He says, don't be alarmed. Yes, we see that. But he says, take heed. Be aware. So therefore, don't be asleep. Because if we look at the end of the chapter, it says unto you, Verse 35, watch ye therefore, be aware, be, be on guard, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. So don't fall asleep, but be aware, be ready. So therefore, don't be unaware of these things. And number one, don't be unaware of the truth that matters. There are some things that are opinion. Now, again, God knows, and we know from the word of God, that only the Father knows the day and the hour when he's coming. Not even the Son knows when he's coming. And so therefore, it's interesting to talk about. It can be fun to speculate. It can also get us into trouble to speculate because we can claim dogmatically certain things are true, and then we find out later we may get to heaven or find out in our lifetime that wasn't exactly correct. And so therefore, we need to be careful. I'm going to come back to that. But be aware, these things must take place. It's God's will these things take place. These things must, needs, be, verse 7. But the end is not yet. So the truth that matters, what truth matters? Jesus, as I said last week, and I've said week after week after week, Jesus is coming. Is he coming today? Don't know. Is he coming tomorrow? Don't know. Is he coming in my lifetime? Don't know. Is he coming in your lifetime? Don't know. Is it going to be another 2,000 years? Don't know. What I do know is he is coming. Make no mistake, he is coming. And we must be ready and persevere till he comes. Verse 13, he that shall endure... He that shall persevere until the end, the same shall be saved. That doesn't mean live to the end. That means your faith makes it to the end. Well, how does your faith make it to the end? If your faith was given to you by God. If God gave you your faith, and he gave you a faith to believe in Jesus Christ, and to repent of your sins, and be made a new creature in Christ, then your faith will persevere to the end. And so therefore, that's the truth that matters. There is work yet to be done. Now, there's no sign that has yet to take place. There's no prophecy yet unfilled that keeps Jesus Christ from
from coming right back in the rapture at this very moment. There's none. But until he comes, there is work yet to be done. And we are the workers in the field. The believers are the workers. We're the messengers. We're the givers of hope. We're the shiners of light. And there is work yet to be done. So don't be aware of the truth that matters. Don't be unaware of the signs of the times. In other words, there are signs that he gives us. There are certain things that he said, these are the signs. These are the things to look for. These are the things to be aware of, and we ought to be aware of them. There are some churches, some believers, some Christians say, well, we can't know for sure, so let's just not worry about it. That's not what he said. In fact, the book of Revelation, which is in almost entirely prophecy, says, blessed is he that reads and obeys the words of this book. Talking about the book of Revelation. And so therefore, we ought to be aware of the signs of the times. We watch the news, and I've been preaching about this for a while, and I'm going to remind you again, the conflict that's surrounding Israel right now is key. It is key, and I told you before, there's been conflict in Israel since Ishmael and Isaac, and there's going to be conflict in Israel until Jesus Christ comes again and sets up his throne on the earth and rules and reigns for a thousand years. There's going to be. And so therefore, we need to be aware that there is conflict going to be in Israel, but there certainly has been a rise in conflict in Israel. And I told you, I said, watch and see. The governments in large part were saying, we support Israel's right to defend themselves. But how many of you been, I, I said, but one, two things are going to happen. One is that Israel is going to, now I don't, I'm not saying Israel has done this, so please don't misunderstand, but the world is going to view, okay, well, Israel has a right to defend itself, but then there's going to come a point where this, it, the world says Israel has taken it too far, and the governments of the world are going to change their tune. And those that supported Israel are going to start opposing Israel. What have we, now again, I am not saying that he's coming back tomorrow. I'm not saying that this is the end. What I'm saying is, if you're watching your news, what has happened? Suddenly now, from our president, it is coming, well, we need to, you know, just back off Israel. We're seeing, listen, there were people at the gates of the White House shaking the gates of the White House, thousands in protest. Now, that doesn't mean the majority of Americans do not support Israel. But I'm telling you, just watch these things as governments begin to change their tune a little bit. Pay attention, be aware, don't be alarmed, but be ready. Be ready for the trumpet. Be ready for Christ to come because the conflict surrounding Israel is key. The signs of the times are also this. We read our Bible and we see that the Bible says as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when Jesus comes back again. Because in Luke 17, 26 and 27, it says this, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Well, what does that mean? People are going to be ignoring the signs. People are going to be ignoring the warnings. In fact, Noah preached, according to 2 Peter 2, 5, Noah preached judgment in the righteousness of God the entire time he was building the ark 
and the people ignored him and they scoffed and they scorned. And they said, you've been saying it's going to rain for a hundred years, Noah, and it hasn't rained yet. And people are going to say to the church and to the Christians and to me, you've been saying all your life that Christ is coming. You've been saying for 2,000 years that Christ is coming and he hasn't come yet. But I'm telling you, he is coming. The world is in labor pains. That's literally what the beginning of sorrows is, is the beginning of the labor pains. We can't know or understand all the signs and therefore don't get caught up in just debating it constantly or stressed out by it because we can't know exactly. We see certain things, but God didn't intend for us to know every step of the way because number one, it would scare us to death, and number two, we probably would resist it, and number three, we'd say, well, this is it. Let's just sit back and wait, and that's not what we are to be doing. There is work to be done. No man knows the day nor the hour. It is, in fact, this is the other side of the coin is the fact that while we ought to be aware, don't be unaware, be aware of the signs of the times, the Bible also tells us don't get so caught up in trying to figure everything out because one, you can't. You can't know the day nor the hour. You're not going to know exactly when he's coming. He comes as a thief in the night. He comes when you're not expecting him. That's when he's going to come. The son doesn't even know. Only the father only is the only one that knows. And then Acts chapter 1 verse 7, you've heard me say this before, but I'm going to say it again. The disciples, before Jesus was about to leave them and ascend into heaven, they said, well, tell us, is now going to be the time that you set up your kingdom? And Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. It's interesting. We ought to be aware. We ought to be watching and on guard and ready and busy but we ought not to be so caught up that we're paralyzed from doing everything else. We ought not to be so busy paying attention that we're terrified about what might take place. We ought to be aware. Don't be unaware. Don't be unaware of the, the truth that matters. Don't be unaware of the signs of the times. Don't be unaware of the urgency of the moment. Time is urgent. Time is not on humanity's side. Time is not even on your side in the thing that, in, in the essence of this, oh, I've got time to tell my friend about Jesus. Or I've got time to come to Christ myself. We don't know how much time we have. We just know that the sun is beginning to set. That's what we know. Every moment matters. So don't be unaware. Number two thing, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Look on down here and he, he says, many shall come... In my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. That's back in, in, in verse 6. Don't be deceived. There's going to be false prophets. There's going to be false Christs that are coming, and therefore we need to be aware of that as well. Don't be unaware, but don't be deceived. How are we not deceived? By reading our word, reading God's message to us. You see, what was happening was this. And what would happen was this. In fact, we read over in Thessalonians, and the, the fact was that people were telling the people in the church, you've missed the rapture. It's already taken place. Now, the word rapture is not there, but you've missed the coming of, of God coming again and taking the believers out of this world. You've missed it. 
It's already happening. And there are people that were fearful and panicking because they were deceived by these ones, and that's where Paul taught them, no, it hasn't happened yet. Don't be afraid. Pay attention to these things. Be aware of these signs. And so therefore, don't be deceived by these false prophets that are proclaiming false prophecy, claiming they can predict the future, claiming they know the time that God is coming, or uh, proclaiming a false gospel. There's more than one way to heaven. There's not. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. And there is one way to heaven, and that's through the work of Jesus Christ and our faith in him and repentance of sin. So don't be deceived by the false prophets. Don't be deceived by false messiahs coming, proclaiming themselves to either be Christ or proclaiming themselves to be messengers of Christ, proclaiming themselves to have a word from Christ when they're telling you something different than what we find in the word of God. But also don't be deceived by false hope. The Bible also talks about the fact that there's going to be others calling, claiming peace, peace. And when people claim peace, peace, that's when great calamity comes. And we need to understand there are some that are, that are teaching and preaching, well, Christ is not coming back. He hasn't come back for 2,000 years. He's not coming back. Don't believe that. But there are some that also say, well, hey, man, we're just living through the tribulation now, so don't worry because we're all going to make it through it. It's all going to be okay, and you can have hope in what we're telling you. You can have hope in the fact that it's all going to be all right. That's not true either. So don't be deceived by a false hope. In fact, when people claim to have all the answers, it makes me a little nervous because the Antichrist is going to be the one that will seem to have all the answers and the world will clamor. They will beg to make him ruler of the world because he will seem to have all the answers that we're looking for. Number three things. Number one, number, number one is, is don't be unaware. Number two is don't be deceived. And let me just uh, close with this third point. Now, Ella, it's 11.28. Only because she tells me every day, you say it's all time, Dad. It's the last point. I've got several points under this last point. All right? Just going just gonna to make that clear. Very clear. Mark, I know sometimes you the same way. You kind of look at me and say, that's the last thing you said. No, I'm telling you right now, I've got a few points under this, but this last one is don't be discouraged don't be discouraged now listen there is a lot that can discourage us if we're not careful there's much to be discouraged over we look and we see that the fact that number one the bible says there's going to be a increase in natural disaster and we have seen increases at least increases in our awareness of natural disasters i looked this up there's not been an increase in earthquakes and in hurricanes. There's been an increase in the awareness of them, and there has been an increase in where they're occurring. And the Bible talks about the fact of earthquakes in diverse or unusual places. And so therefore, there is an increase of those kinds of natural disasters. That can be discouraging to us. There's also been an increase in health disasters. It seems more and more we have mental health illness. We have all kinds of can cancers and tumors. 
we have COVID-19 and all these other diseases as far as we can think of SARS and we can think of COVID and we can think of all these other things that can scare us and discourage us if we're not paying attention. But all these things are signs of the earth being in turmoil, the labor pains, the beginning of sorrows that we're talking about. The wars and the rumors of war. So not only is there much to be discouraged over because an increase in natural disasters and in health disasters, but there's an increase in political disasters. Wars. Rumors of wars. Lack of leadership. Financial crisis. Markets crashing. Things out of whack. Inflation on the rise. And again, not right here in our section of Scripture, but you go to Revelation and it talks about the inflation being a huge deal where a loaf of bread will cause, cost you a day's wage. Why is that? Because of inflation, in my eyes. There may be other reasons as well, because of famine, but supply and demand and all those kind of things. But the fact is, we're seeing more and more that things that can be discouraging there's an increase in religious disasters. You say, what do you mean religious disasters? Well, look in your, look in your Bible here. Before I get right here, I don't, I don't have time to turn there, but in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about before Christ will come, there will be a falling away from the faith. And certainly, now listen, we often view things through the scope of right here at home. But we have to understand that the Bible wasn't written just to us here in America, just to us here in South Carolina. But a falling away must happen first before the Son of Man can come. A falling away from God. And worldwide, and certainly in our nation, we have seen a lack of spiritual maturity, a lack of spiritual knowledge, a lack of sovereign respect. And certainly there has been, nobody could deny a falling away that has taken place. But also right here in our passage, we see that there's an increase in religious disasters, meaning persecution. Persecution is going to be on the rise. Two kinds of persecution. Number one is official persecution, meaning government persecution. And if you've been paying attention to your news there has been governmental persecution in various forms that we've seen taking place, not just across the world, but right here at home. Now, again, don't just get your focus here at home. But this is where we live. But even when, nine, when, uh, when COVID-19 took place and they told churches, you can't meet, and pastors were being arrested up in Canada, pastors being arrested and put in jail for preaching the gospel, other places in the world, the Middle East, people being murdered and martyred for the gospel. Across this world, people being put to death and taken to court for the gospel. Notice what it says, when they shall lead you and shall deliver you up. That, that Go back to verse 9. Take heed for yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils. And in the synagogues, ye shall be beaten. And ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake and for a testimony against them. That's governmental persecution. The governments are going to persecute. And then there's also going to be personal persecution. Because it says, when they shall lead you up, verse 12 says, verse 12 says, now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father, the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents 
and shall cause them to be put to death. That is personal. Again, our friends, our family, not coming from official government capacity, simply coming from society. Persecution coming. And we're certainly seeing a rise of that in the news. And so therefore, there's all kinds of things to be discouraged. But can I just show you this very quickly? In all of this, there is a phrase that gets skipped over when we read this. At least every time I've read it, until this time, I've managed somehow to gloss over it. I read and I see all this discouragement. I see all these things that can, that can be discouraging. There's two places that really encourage me. One, I've already told you, and that's where it says, these must be. These things must be. They must take place. It's all in God's hands. Be encouraged. It's all in God's hands. It's all in God's plan. It's all in his control. And then number two, because I'm running out of time, is this. Look with me, if you would, in verse 9. Verse 9. You shall take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings. Number, here's key. For my sake. So it's not because we were hateful. It's not because we were mean-spirited. It's not because we were being ugly or judgmental. It's because we took a stand for the gospel of Christ. All right? So therefore, persecution comes because we're taking a stand for Christ. But look at the last phrase. For a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. Watch this now. There's going to be a falling away from the faith. There's going to be an increase in official persecution. There's going to be a rise in personal persecution. We're going to be hated for Christ's sake. But that prosecution, that persecution is going to lead to proclamation of the gospel. Here's what I saw. My persecution leads me to a greater opportunity to share the blood of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, to people who would normally never come to our church, who would never come to any kind of preaching or any kind of worship service. I'm not coming to that, but now they're going to take me and you, and they're going to drag you into where they're at, and you're going to have an opportunity to stand up and say, Blessed be the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, the good news of the gospel. There is hope for you, my friend. Judge, there's hope for you. Police commissioner, there's hope for you. A court system, there's hope for you. If you would just repent in Jesus' name, and we're going to have a chance to give a gospel to people that would never, ever, ever want to hear your testimony, but you're going to have a chance to give it. And not only will you have a chance to give it, but God says don't even you worry about what you're going to say. I was doing, uh, Tracy commented just the other day, we had a sports banquet for uh, the soccer and the volleyball program. And uh, talking about, you know, they, they kind of teased me about being long-winded and I, the, the other coach wasn't going to be there. So I don't talk for him and for me. They're like, oh, we're going to be here forever. The other coaches got up and they went so quick. And I said, Tracy, I said, is that what I'm supposed to do? She goes, that's what you're supposed to do. But they all had notes. They all had things written down. And she commented, she goes, but they get up there and, and they're not comfortable up there. They don't know what to say. And they've got all their notes there, what they want to say. You just get up there and let her fly. My point is this. When the time comes that you're under persecution and you're dragged in, if it's us that's there, if that's you and me, we know it's going to be people. 
But if it's you and me, the hope is this. You don't have to make your notes. You don't have to have things written down. You don't have to meditate on what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit is going to speak for you and say exactly what you would say if you knew to say it in the way that you would say it if you knew the way to say it. He's going to do it for you. What a glory it is to know that I don't have to worry about preparing three points in a poem when they drag me to court. God's going to give me the words to say. Amen? I'm telling you, I'm going to have a chance to look in the faces of atheists. If, if I'm the one, or if people that are dragged to the courts are going to have a, a chance to look in the faces of people that do not believe and would never go to church and say, this is what the Bible says. A testimony against them, but also a testimony for them. Oh, my friends, there is hope. There's no reason to be afraid. In fact, as we read down, the Holy Spirit gives us the word. The gospel will be spread. Because as the gospel must first be published among all nations. Does that mean that every last person in every last place is going to have to hear the gospel before he comes back? And that's what we're waiting for? No, that's not what it means. It means that the gospel is going to be spread across the four corners of the globe. And it is. We're not waiting for that. But people being dragged into courts, people that never would have heard the gospel before, will now be hearing the gospel and the wonderful love of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you that it's a wonderful hope and we do not have to be discouraged. And the very last point of don't be discouraged is that God's will will be done. I said already the fact that these things must take place, but also look over in verse 13, 7. Key phrases, be ye not troubled. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then over, look over in verse 23. Take heed. Behold, I have foretold you all these things. You've been made aware. So therefore, don't be troubled because you know it's coming. Jesus holds it all in his hands. God holds it all in his hands. He's in control of it all. There's not a thing that's going to happen that's not supposed to happen. There's not a thing that's going to happen that will not, that in God's will, that will not happen. God's will, and you read the word of God and continue to read chapter 13 and go and read uh, Ezekiel and Daniel. Go and read Revelation. In the end times, and we get down to the end, we see that Jesus Christ has final victory and there will be no more tears and there will be no more sorrow and there will be no more pain and there will be no more persecution and there will be no more sin and no more Satan and no more hate and anything evil will all be wiped away with a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saves me by his grace and holds it all in his hands. Don't be unaware. Don't be deceived. But don't be discouraged. There is hope in the faithfulness of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd be with us this morning. God, I pray that you would help us today. God, I pray that you would help us to understand that all these things, Father, have been told by you. And all these things are known by you. And God, while we may see these things and, and be tempted to be fearful and tempted to be uh, anxious, God, you have said that we are not to be alarmed. And you've, got, you've told us what to look for. And Father, as we see these things unfold, whether this 
And what we're seeing now in the Middle East is, is a precursor to the end as far as you coming in our lifetime. Father, we'll be grateful and we say, Lord Jesus, come. But Father, if it's going to be another 2,000 years, then we say, God, thank you for, our faithful, for your faithfulness to us. Help us be faithful and persevere to the end of our lives for you. And God, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Help us, I pray. If there's any here today that does not know you, any today who's living in fear, let them come to know you better. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We thank you for listening to this message from the Word of God. At Pleasant Hill, we desire to be a help and a blessing to you. If you have any questions or prayer requests, or if we can be a help to you in your walk with God, we invite you to contact us here at Pleasant Hill by visiting our website at phbc.online. Thank you, and may God bless you.